soon oh, we're no, going to see spec packs back and forth, back and forth. Is this going to be a match race or is this going to be a drag race? The Calm Storm found her podcast. It's a race course designed for street fighting, for looking for opportunities. Hi, I'm Michael. I'm a co-founder at Calmstorm Ventures and host of today's episode of the Found Her podcast. My co-host today is Marta Gajatsanki, founder and managing partner at Nina Capital. She's now based in Barcelona, but from 2006 to 2019, she lived, learned and worked with founders, investors, universities and corporations in Silicon Valley. Marta is especially interested in digital health, but also has broader expertise in medical devices and other areas of healthcare technology. As always, we'll start out by listening to a founder pitcher startup. Alice Pelton is our guest today and the founder of The Lowdown. Alice is an alumna of Entrepreneur First London and has over 10 years of experience in strategy and digital products, including seven years at News UK, where she started her career in marketing and sales and moved up to the role of head of strategy and operations. Marta, welcome. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you, Michael. And also Alice, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, Alice, do you want to start with your pitch? Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Alice, and I'm the founder of The Lowdown. We're building the best place on the planet to sort out your contraception. Why? Because contraception is the most widely used medication on earth, but it's really complicated. There's loads of choice, and it's difficult to know which method or brand is best for you. And while there is choice, the options available to us aren't that great. In fact, 80% of women get unwanted side effects from their contraception, and over half have had trouble finding a method that suits them. Compounding this, getting good medical advice in this area is really hard. And even in a country like the UK, one in three women can't get hold of contraception from where they want to. I suffered from side effects from the pill for almost 10 years of my life and realized there's a massive gap for a community-led data-rich product that helps the 1 billion women worldwide choose, access, and use their contraception. So I built the lowdown. We started as a review platform and have now collected over four and a half thousand real person reviews for every method and brand of contraception in the UK. It's this content that gets almost 100,000 people coming to us every month, zero paid marketing. And now we are closer to women's lived experiences of this problem than any other startup in the world. The first way we're monetizing the lowdown is through telemedicine and prescriptions. Hundreds of women have already paid us to speak to one of our expert GPs or have their pill delivered through their letterbox. And this is the most obvious way to add value, save time and improve our users' lives. But the lowdown is about more than just that. We're on a mission to give women the voice they deserve and use our data and the movement we started to improve contraceptive methods themselves and ultimately reset the standards for women's health. We have an incredible team of doctors, developers, and campaigners to help us get there. And I'm in the process of closing a round to help us build on this initial traction and transform contraception for the next 150 million women across Europe and the US. Thanks, Alice. That was a great pitch. I really like that. Recently, contraception and the side effects of contraception have been on the news again, right? Because people were comparing AstraZeneca side effects, for example, to the several magnitudes, orders of magnitudes, larger amount of side effects in contraception. But other than that, typically that's not something that people talk about a lot, quite, quite that much, right? Mm, yeah, exactly. Can you tell us a little bit about the story, how you originally started to build this and why? How did it all happen? 
Yeah. So like most teenagers, I went on the pill and it took me a few years to realize that it really didn't agree with me and made me pretty miserable and emotional. And then I embarked on this 10-year contraceptive merry-go-round really where I try loads of different things they wouldn't work I was really frustrated that I couldn't get good advice from my GP and also it was just so clear there was a massive lack of data as well as a space for people to talk about the problems they were having yeah I think it was really born out of my personal experience and I'd worked in sort of digital products and and knew a bit about building apps and websites and had this idea for a a review platform a few years ago So to test it, I sent out a survey to some of my friends to see if I was the only person that had this problem. And within two weeks, I had 500 responses to the survey and people were just pouring their heart out to me about their problems with contraception. And it was then that I knew I had to build something to to help fix it. Mark, do you have some initial questions? Yeah, I actually wanted to to, to build on that topic, Alice. Uh, You seem to have been able to build a rich and large community. Your footprint being such a young company is remarkable. What are you doing? What's the recipe that you think is able to attract such a response from women across the UK and beyond? I think actually building something that you can't really get anywhere else. Like I, I, I looked at the internet and 60 to 70% of us go to Google. Women, when they have a question about their contraception, they search it in Google and The websites and things that are there, they suffer from a lot of problems in terms of how you navigate them, the data and advice they can give you, and also an authenticity problem. The way we built the lowdown, we have different pages for each method and brand, and Google really likes those pages and starts to index them and see that we're really the best place to go to get this information. And then all of the user-generated content that we have on the site just updates the site constantly. Having worked in publishing, I knew a bit about how to build websites that that work well for SEO. So I, I have that experience for getting this right. But I think finally also having a personal experience and a story that connects with people and makes it feel, which it is, incredibly you know authentic and real, is something that I would also put down to our growth and our success as well. Yeah, that's very well said. Actually, there is one piece to that I didn't know in the beginning. I came to appreciate when speaking with you, Alice, that given the majority of contraception is provided in general practice, and their systems generally lack an understanding about uptake and access to contraception in primary care settings. It, it seems to be that even in the best systems, even in the NHS, even in the UK, where contraception usage is very high and one of the most liberal telesystems in, in, in this continent still, inadequate, fragmented data collection in a form that is very unhelpful for analysis. And, and you said that word, which I think is interesting. I wanted to probe a little farther. This is becoming an amazing platform for women to enter data and to find data. What is your vision for it? What do you see that eventually could happen with the lowdown growing in, in number of data points? Yeah, I think that's a nice connection because I was asking my doctor these questions. Doctors themselves are frustrated that they don't have access to really gold standard clinical research that helps them guide women and navigate these side effects. So I I felt that frustration from my GP, the poor guy, and wanted to try and do something to help. And I've been really pleased that the medical community has really welcomed this approach and also pleased that our data is actually interesting and helpful. We've got a really clear picture of what each method does to most women. And if you want to stop or start periods or improve your skin or manage hair growth, we can pretty much tell you which method you should try. And 
So building out from that starting point and thinking about ways that we can build recommendation tools, insights, better visualize and tell women about these things. And ultimately, in part, what's quite complicated stuff about every contraceptive, but in a visually appealing way is, is how I want to take it forward, as well as using our data to say to pharma companies and the new biotech companies this is what women are telling us like this is like one big stage five clinical trial effectively please do something with it and, and let's make this better there was another surprise to me learning a little bit more about the space from you that gps tend not to have a huge education and training on contraception can you tell us a little bit more about what is missing that was for you a call to action yeah i think it actually stems from historically contraception or family planning is ironically a very unsexy look down on part of, of healthcare and it, it was typically actually not given to you by doctors many decades or centuries ago so it has a it's weird a bit of a weird history which has led to a lack of focus and training and if you look in the UK at the training that a general practitioner would go through if they didn't specialize at all in anything else and do a diploma or anything in sexual health they would probably only have a couple of days maybe even just one afternoon overview on it but 80% of contraception in the UK now comes through GPs and yeah I think it's so important that you get good advice from people who can really give you the lowdown on these hormones, the options, and really dig into your medical history to help you work out what could be the right thing. I have some questions about the, the numbers you started uh, to talk about. How far along are you right now? So how many users are you getting each month? How many reviews are you getting? What are you, the usage numbers looking like? So we launched the website about two years ago. We initially went through a huge drive to get loads of reviews because that was what I needed to make sure that data was statistically significant and also useful across the range of methods and brands. I'd say at the, the early stages, we'd get maybe 500 reviews a month, but now we're down to a, a run rate of about 150 a month. And that's fine. That's ticking along very nicely. But our audience has just experienced huge growth, especially since a lockdown last year. So mm -hmm. we jumped up to I think it was about 30,000 users, 40,000 users a month. And now uh, we just finished a month on about 80,000 users. Very big jump. What is driving that? Is it just lockdown? Where's the traffic coming from? We've been talked about in, in lots of publications. We've got lots of really good high quality backlinks. I think a bit of lockdown, I think a bit of cementing like our authority as a domain. And we've also really grown our audience on social recently. And that's starting to contribute a significant amount of traffic to the site as well. Maybe staying at that, talk about numbers. In, in the UK, the use of contraception is very high. I think top 70% with more than 10 million users. What's the size of that market in continental Europe? What's your ambition like in terms of the number of women that you can reach in the next uh, three, four, five countries in the continent? Yeah, exactly. Just to put it in perspective, like I said, there's about 1 billion people who, who currently use contraception and more than that who actually have a need for it we are targeting uh, 150 women who live in the us and main parts of western europe australia and new zealand with the lowdown we already get a considerable amount of traffic from these areas as it's obviously an english-speaking website and i think the most interesting markets for us next are germany and france Germany has a similar, if not same proportion of women using contraception than the UK. So yeah, it's really scalable and really exciting. And I can't wait to build versions of the lowdown in these countries. So I have a very basic yeah. question. So how many methods of contraception are there? So how many are you covering on your website? 
There's about 17 main methods. Obviously, under those methods, there are hundreds of brands, but many of those brands have the same ingredients. It might look like there's hundreds, but maybe there's 12 or 13 groups of combined pill, for example, in the UK at the moment. And staying a little bit more with than with your international ambition for expansion, the Playbook works in the UK. It's also a very unique country in terms of healthcare systems. And again, we already talked about the different numbers of users of contraception in, in the UK versus continental Europe. What keeps you up at night when you think about the possibility to bring this service to women outside of the UK? I just know it's going to work. That is funny. A lot of people say, oh, it's going to be so hard to scale. Maybe I'm just really naive, but I just, I've been doing this, I've been speaking to women about this from all over the world for years. The problems are very similar. The, the mindset is actually quite similar. And I know we'll have some localization challenges, but I can't wait to get on a plane to Berlin and figure it out and find really good people on the ground in these countries to help us build this kind of organic movement over there. And that involves building relationships with influencers, finding the right people who are plugged into regulation and starting to get some sort of press and things like that moving. But yeah, I, I just know it's going to work. <laughs> so big. <laughs> I, like I like that confidence. <laughs> yeah, same here. So what I what strikes me about this is the way that you speak about this as a movement. And because something that I find very interesting about the space that you're in is that really the information that is easily available right now is quite crappy. So it's very hard to find easily accessible, good information where it's also possible to assess um, where it's coming from. So you never know how biased the stuff that you read is and whether you, but you're just getting something straight from a marketing person. And I feel that it is across many areas of, of women's health and especially women's reproductive health, that's a pretty big issue. So is, is the lowdown entirely about contraception or are you also going to branch out into other areas at some point? If you take how we are collating that bias and giving it a bit more structure, so it's clearly obviously bias and every review pl platform has problems with people who've had a really good or bad experience leaving reviews and we need to work on like how we figure that out. But if you take that model of collating experiences in a structured way, collecting data, also combining that with curated content and advice that gives people a stamped, this has been checked by a doctor play as well. I think you can expand that to so many there's so many correlates, right, in, in women's health around this choosing, figuring it out, wanting to know how others have got on with it. I think there's so many ways that women have those questions from menstruation to menopause. Yeah, I absolutely want to use this. In fact, we've got an event tonight on polycystic ovary syndrome. We've had 300 women in our community register for that. And things like these gynecological disorders, which many women use contraception to help solve or treat. Definitely spaces I want the lowdown to build out community, communities within. Here, it's lots of work ahead. Again, I like that as well. I think the response of the community that is surrounding the lowdown makes it very clear that women find tremendous value in the platform. Less obvious for me is the value of physicians. Yeah, they're the gatekeepers today of the different contraceptive methods. How has been their response to the lowdown offer? I was very nervous at first. I know that they don't like women when they come into their practice telling them that they can or can't do something because their friends have said something or coming up with horror stories that make it harder for them to keep women open-minded about their options. Actually been pleasantly surprised at how open they are because they recognize the huge problem with information and data as well. 
uh, and they want people to be better informed um, by the right platforms when they walk into their waiting room. So pleasantly surprised, delighted to have some really open-minded medics in our team who can help me get that balance right between starting off this campaign and also making sure that what we're talking about is clinically evidenced but balanced. I can get very angry about contraception and I just want to say to any doctors listening, I I know that you, especially in the UK, are time poor, cash poor. You're doing the best you can with not a great set of resources and training. I don't want to be bashing any medics because um, this is actually about uh, taking that burden off medics and helping women feel in control and make the right decisions for them as well. And then there is the other elephant in the room, Alice, which is the pharmaceutical companies. I, I know a few data points. I know that the global contraceptive market is valued at nearly 30 billion. But I also know that the birth control relies on uh, science that is more than 50 years old. And most pharmaceutical companies seem to have stopped innovation and the principles have not evolved tremendously. So it seems like marketing decisions rather than scientific decisions have guided the development and positioning of contraceptive products in recent years. So I'm very curious, what does pharma think of what you are doing? Why do you think they should pay attention to the lowdown? Sadly, yeah, they don't really care, which I think is just a reflection on how we've got here in the first place. They obviously invested a lot and, and developed these hormonal methods, which to be honest, all work in fairly similar ways. And yeah, like you say, like use that development of science that launched in the 60s. They don't make that much money out of contraceptives anymore. I think hormonal contraceptives made about 5 billion in the US versus 60 billion for cancer drugs, as an example. A lot of these contraceptives are off license. So yeah, they can't be sold at a very high cost. And because that developing them is quite litigious, quite complicated. There were some quite famous lawsuits in the 80s and 90s, which put them off. And I think there's just an acceptance, which is completely wrong, that we've got the options and they work. They prevent pregnancy. Therefore, we should be happy with them. I would love to help them see that this is not good enough. And actually, we are riding this wave, this generational shift where more women are demanding more from their health and from their contraception. And I would love to talk to them about how they can improve things and also listen to what women want when they hopefully start research and innovation in this space. Yeah, that that is something that I actually wanted to ask you about. What is it that you've learned about what women want? So what are the main learnings from almost a personal standpoint? So how do people react to finding out about the lowdown? And what is it that's different about other things in the market? I think the first reaction is always one of relief and validation. And I think that is the medicine that people need sometimes. Just that feeling of knowing that you are not alone and someone else like you, maybe your age or has taken a method for the same amount of time, has experienced something very similar. And we always talk about how fascinating, how different we all are. In fact, I love the fact we're all so similar. That's really what's come out of the lowdown for me is this like homogenization of experience. You can still come across like handfuls of women who have almost identical experiences on something. So I think that validation and that feeling of connection, community, surprise, but also relief and also openness. People are very happy to talk about this online, very happy to talk about it and not anonymously and yeah I think just very pleased that something like this exists and also seem to understand what we're trying to do with it 
probably before I even understand what I'm trying to do with it. That's the other really interesting thing. And that's why I talk about this movement, because people say, I'm so pleased about the work you're doing. So pleased. And I sometimes think, what am I doing? <laughs> Tell me, <laughs> what do you want me to do? That's great. I'm glad you're on board. <laughs> I was thinking that there must be a source of immense personal satisfaction to see such a response. Can you tell us a little bit more about the conversations that you have with your community and how they help you inform the business? Every startup says this, but it really has been built on emails in my inbox and our Instagram DMs and calls and meetups and events. Like it has been really, we're just really close to what your problem is, what you want help with where you are in your journey and going back and forth with like hundreds of women about this, you start to pick up the themes. And, and I think at this really early stage, it's just about collecting those themes and, and finding a way to group them and work out how you could build something that helps. So I love it. I, we have a, a contraception recommender on the site that thousands of women have used and that triggers an email to them from me. And that often sparks a really interesting conversation with them about, yeah, what, what they want help with and, where they are in their, like their, their life, their relationships, <laughs> their sex lives, everything. So I really love that. And I hope that as we build out and scale, I can still be involved because I think that keeps us really honest about yeah what, what the problem is and, and how we can solve it. I realize I'm jumping around a bit, but you mentioned DNA before. I know that there are some kind of competitors in your space that are trying to figure out based on genetic tests and other testing, what kind of contraceptive method or product works best for a specific user. How do you see yourself complementing that or how, how do you think you're different from approaches like that? I can't wait to see whether they work. There's a few of them cropping up and, and they've been in development for quite a while and I'm really excited to see if that can help us unpick this minefield. I guess they're, they're solving this with science. We're solving it with community and there's probably a space. In fact, there is a space for both of us and it's really interesting to see that development and how women respond. I, I think... The one insight I have from the lowdown is that it's quite an emotional decision, what, what you use and what you feel like using or your preferences. And we're quite open about our data it is literally you can go on the website and read it all. Um, and I think that's part of the product is that openness and how well women will respond to a more black box solution remains to be seen. But I really hope it works and I hope it helps because it, this is so broken as a product and a problem that yeah I hope that there will be much and hopefully that actual testing will also help advance the methods themselves. Can you tell us a little bit about the business model and how exactly you're going to monetize? After I found my medical team we launched a telemedicine service which was an extension of trying to help women navigate this and to save my email inbox really and that's gone really well. Women can pay to uh, speak to a uh, a doctor who's had, they've done their diploma in sexual health. They really know their stuff about contraception and they get a 20 minute appointment. And a, a lot of the feedback showing us that women really want that time to really explore uh, what's right for them. And then we have a really high intent young audience. They're looking to change. 50% of them are looking to change their contraception. So again, completely makes sense to launch our own prescription service to take the, the hassle out of getting hold of this. A lot of women still have to go for appointments. They still have to ring a GP surgery and to get their pill. So we've we partnered with a, a B2B pharmacy to 
to, to prescribe and, and dispense contraceptives remotely, which is it's been live for a, just over a month. Uh, it's going incredibly well, learning how best to deliver and also support women after they get their prescription. I think there's a huge lack of aftercare as well that we want to address and eventually we'll combine or, or do different variants of a telemedicine and prescriptions package and also build out other ways to get hold of things like the IUD and the implant, which will require a physical visit. And can you tell us a little bit about the, the margins of the telemedicine and the subscription side of things? So how much money are actually making there? Yeah, it's about 30 to 40% on both. And if and when we bring our pharmacy in-house, we'll be looking to raise the prescription side to 50, 60% margin. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty healthy. Alex, maybe... Uh... I was thinking about uh, everything that we just discussed until now. The, the response by the community must have been the fuel in what seems to be like a very mission-oriented project. Uh, it seems the business is building itself by the feedback and collaboration with both patients on one side and the general practitioners that are now on board, also as the experts that you uh, plug into this telemedicine model. I was wondering, uh, what's Behind the quiet surface, that's been really hard for you. What have you learned in the couple of past couple of years in building the lowdown that has been the most uh, difficult? Uh, I know you're a first-time CEO, and I'm curious to ask what was been your experience with the first company. Yeah, I think it was not having a, a boss and going from a corporate where you get an annual review and a bonus and a pat on the back, and having to be your own kind of critic I, I don't have a problem with like motivation or keeping myself going I do really well when I have uh, some really good feedback and it's difficult when you you go out of that and you go into this can be quite lonely isolating place and you're also the boss so you can't really be vulnerable with that many people so I think that is, is quite hard when you go from the routine and the structure of, of working in a in an office to doing a startup which and I've actually, I was looking back and I think I've adjusted to that now and I've got used to it. And there are benefits as well to having that flexibility around your life. But it was a real shock at first. Let's move a little bit to the round. So you said you're fundraising right now. What is it you're doing? How much are you raising? Yeah, so we're looking to raise about 600k. The aim of that being to build out our product. We've made a really good you know, start in terms of what our users want, but we need to, and we know what's working. So we need to rebuild bits of that and, and automate it because it's, it probably can't scale that well. And then I've been doing a lot of this on my own, hiring um, a team to help build and grow this community and start to think about how we'll expand it um, across Europe. That's something that I wanted to mention. It's very impressive how much you've done basically on your own with a very small team. That's uh, very promising, I have to say. As Michael said, you have done a lot with very limited human resources so far. Who would you like to add to the Lowdown team in order to be able to deliver um, on that promise and on your ambition for the next year and a half? First hire is an amazing tech lead to help us yeah, rebuild our, our product. There will actually be two of them. And I found a, a brilliant developer who actually started for us a few weeks ago. So I'm really excited about that. And then uh, a really strong social and community lead, someone who's got really good taste and is able to think creatively about ways to create content, engage with our users and campaign around the low dance message. So those are my first two key hires. Okay. 
Marta, do you have any more questions regarding the round or the company? Actually, I wanted to take more of a very long-term view mm -hmm. and understand a little bit more about Alice's ambition. <laughs> if you look five years or 10 years ahead and imagine yourself looking back to what you have accomplished, what is your biggest dream for a lowdown? I have one vision, which is around being able to visit any city in the Western world initially and then seeing a space where women can go to get their contraception taken care of. That is a beautifully branded, modern experience. That's one part of that, that five to 10 year vision. And then the other is having a seat at the table with governments and farmers to have really changed this and been at the forefront of pushing forward new methods and, and improvements in this side of women's health. And that will be crystallized in clinical trials or something really game-changing coming out fairly soon. I didn't know about the physical spaces. <laughs> That's new information. <laughs> yeah. Um... You got an extra 30 minutes. So we're more like Starbucks now. That's great, actually. I like that. So I went to get my eyebrows threaded at a place called Brow House about 10 years ago. And I want to do lowdown, but I want to take Brow House and I want to do that for getting an IUD or an STI test and it's got like dark dark walls and cool lights and you go in and there's a really nice person who gives you a cup of tea and knows your name and you book it on an app and there's good pain relief and great advice and that is how women and, and men should get their contraception sorted out if they want to and if they can afford to there is 100% a market for a premium branded direct consumer experience when it comes mm -hmm. to this area yeah i agree with that so in that case alice is there anything that you want to mention that we haven't mentioned that should be in no i think that's pretty good pretty yeah cool, cool. all right excellent thank, thank you, that, you. Was, that was great thank you bye thanks alice thank you alice so marta what do you think what's your impression of that conversation we just had yeah there was actually a lot of information i guess when you look at companies to try to understand about what the strengths and the risks are for designing on an investment opportunity in the company. I would say some risks is very clear that the fact that this is a very young company, an amazing CEO, but they haven't had a lot of time to develop the business model. Very understandable. So uh, I think we are coming in with a bit of a leap of faith that the lowdown is going to find a way to really monetize the amazing platform and community which that they have built. That's maybe risk number one, but one that we will be comfortable with. And actually, we will be excited to try and help Alice understand how to do it. She seems extremely confident about the ability to replicate this yes. community model outside the UK. But I do see that possibility that there is a, a great response in certain countries and not others because of the idiosyncrasies of those countries. Regulatory-wise, the UK has a very particular set of policies with regard to telemedicine. That would be one. Uh, I could go on. I could give you a little bit more, but what do you think that could go wrong? What risks are we buying into? That's an interesting question because I don't, I, don't, I can't tell you really, right? because I don't, 
<laughs> I have no idea because that's not the way that I look uh, at companies. So I come from it at it from a different perspective, I think. So there are st- the main risks are, of course, that there's not that much there yet. It's just Alice. And the question is whether she can build a company with a culture that kind of reflects what she wants to do. That's always a big challenge. But I always get excited when, when founders talk about the community that they're building and they have this really strong kind of gut feel that things are going to work out because it's very hard to get a wrong gut feel about your community. Like either it's working or it's not. If you think that what you're doing is very valuable and you get feedback from people all day long and you have some initial signals that it's monetizable and the market is large enough and 30 billion a year is definitely large enough. That's always a very exciting exciting place to be in. So that's what I like, what I really like here. Um, I'm interested in kind of in what is the angle that you look at this from? So I obviously come more from a consumer angle. So I'm excited about the, the opportunities to grow communities in all of these markets that she's interested in and then just sell product to them. But I also think there must be a, a data angle to this, right? Uh, because obviously this community would be quite unique. And I'm wondering, do you see ways of this becoming valuable? Yes, I do see. The, the current pathway for women to find the right contraception is an abysmal <laughs> labyrinth that We talk about the lack of data. Most women speak with either their own circle of friends or their doctor who only provides us by a short 10-minute consultation. It's actually abhorrent to the state of healthcare for women that are trying to navigate the complexity. It's a problem of not having a voice, not having a choice that is informed, not having access. And I think the assumption by those that don't even try to think about contraception, don't need to, don't don't want to, is that this problem is fixed uh, and that makes solving it even harder. Most women just simply go through a trial and error uh, until they get the right method that works for them. And the side effect that they have to endure through this process can be seriously debilitating. So there is that actually very clear medical angle. And not only that, but contraception is not just about a way to access it birth control methods, but very often these are medications that are used in conjunction with other conditions. Right now, unfortunately, women that uh, access contraception, despite the best efforts of many practitioners, do it without linking that need to other healthcare needs that they feel that could be coupled with the right contraception methods. So it remains a very fragmented system and not one that looks holistically uh, at, the, at the needs, both of family planning and tackling certain conditions that women have. So I feel that this is as uh, the potential to have very large impact for women beyond just the need to have birth control, but have a more holistic approach when it comes to their health. So I, I think that the lowdown has a chance to become a go-to brand for information regarding women's sexual, reproductive, or hormonal health in Europe. The lowdown on contraceptives is today down on IVF, the lowdown on endometriosis, the lowdown on women's health uh, and Starting with this angle is very reasonable and is very much needed. The data that they're building in the process is an asset that uh, can grow to something extremely interesting. I think we hinted to that in the conversation, Alice, when I probed her on what would be the value proposition to pharma companies, responded to that. There is an opportunity for a dialogue. And I think pharma would be idiotic not to look very closely to the possibilities that exist 
in having information that comes from women. They want to have a voice. They want to be able to make research and development stronger. It's also an access to a population that could potentially be very active and involved uh, in developing new clinical trials, a better understanding of what are the intended uses and intended populations for certain hormonal methods vary versus others in a more integrative approach and participative in which actually patients have a way to advance the field in partnership with pharma. And this is not possible today because there is no data. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think the lowdown has this potential. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. And also regarding the potential, what I find very interesting is that there are several ways for this to become a very large company. You mentioned that you, you just mentioned she could branch out into other areas of, of women's reproductive health or women's health in general and just become kind of the main source of information and the main brand uh, that people think about when they think about that topic. But also, I really like the idea that she mentioned in the call of moving into physical spaces for actually administering contraceptives, which I think is a very enticing idea. It seems very far off, but it's definitely an ambition that she has in her head, I think. And that's also always a good signal if you can imagine a lot of ways that this can become quite large. To me, at least, that's a very strong signal. And I like that Alice has a, seems to have a grasp, a good grasp of all of them. She seems to uh, be very aware of the things that she could be doing in the future. And it seems like she can't wait to get going. So that's what I like about a very early stage founder in the phase that she is in. Uh, I agree. She's one mission-driven funder. I feel oh, like very, she's yeah. not going to stop at anything. And I like that a lot. We invest in need-driven companies. But to have a need-driven company, first of all, you have to have a need-driven leadership. And she's certainly one of those of that type. Yeah, that's a good point. One thing you mentioned risk before that I did catch is that she needs to rebuild part of her tech. So there is, uh, of course, some risk involved with that. And I think that's something that if we engage further here, we need to take care of. So we need to, because she's, she herself is not technical. She's obviously very good at getting product out of the door as CEO, but she's not a coder. And she mentioned the call she needs more expertise regarding that in the company to rebuild parts of what she's already built. That's always a risk, but it, that's always what happens when you have very small teams building products that grow quite fast. So it's not something I'm scared about. It's definitely something I noticed though. Fair point. My point is that she's going to have abundant candidates that are going to be eager to work on a product and on a company like mm. this. So she, the pool is going to be large and she, uh, she will find plenty of good candidates and they will understand that they are lucky to work on, on this project, I believe. I find it interesting that you're that you find this so interesting because if I understand it correctly, typically the companies that in, that you invest in are quite a bit more technical, right? Yes, yes, it's true. We like to invest in companies that have a strong component of innovation, and generally we find it in the technology innovation piece. But sometimes you really don't need to have a, a rocket science <laughs> to be able to fix a problem, and that's what mm-hmm. we care about the most. What we care about the most is to find companies that have really understood hacker needs and are very focused on doing what's necessary and sustainable to address those needs with compelling innovations. But where that innovation is, 
Sometimes it's in the technology itself. Sometimes instead it's in the coupling of uh, technologies that just the right one and business model innovation. In this case, I see that the playbook that she has been able to, to use is, is the winning formula. We are betting on a funder that's very need-driven and we're excited about the fact that actually today's system artificially separates women's contraceptive needs from their other reproductive and health needs. And so we see solving these needs as a way to actually have an important um, impact on women's health overall. For us, it's it's very consistent with that message, uh, (laughs) need-driven. Okay. Actually, if we look into this deal further, I think it would be a good match between the two of us, simply because we come from more from a consumer angle, you come from a medical and kind of health economics angle, if I understand it correctly. So that's actually a good match because both of these things could be very important for the future of the lowdown. So I think my main verdict is that I'm very interested in digging, digging deeper. Alice asked us not to disclose the terms of the round that she's going for in the podcast, but I think it's doable. It's definitely reasonable. It's within the range, I think, where it's investable for us. So I think we are going to dig deeper here. And I would also really enjoy digging deeper together with Nina Capital, if you're up for that. Yes, absolutely. And you said it correctly. We are generally more focused on companies that sell to enterprise, so B2B or B2C. So this is something of an outlier in our typical investment spectrum. But there are a lot of reasons for us to be excited. And I told you before that I see some risks. That's not an negative of the business. We just want to be cognizant of where we can spend time to help the funders prepare for success in the future. I mentioned already the risk about this staying a UK company. I actually believe that, yes, the United Kingdom is the best launchpad into the European market that is it is one of the most liberal teleprescription systems in the continent, yes, but after the UK, I definitely see Germany and France as interesting markets with low innovation in the space and equal characteristics from a population uh, perspective in terms of patients and healthcare systems and such. What do you think about the fact that she is a single founder? Is that something that, you're, that, that comes up when you read at all? So, first of all, I understand why investors are... More concerned about when there is a single funder, but I also remember that I'm a single funder myself with the right (laughs) determination. (laughs) I think a single funder can do a lot and be successful. So I take note of the fact that, yes, it's an element of risk that other companies and have a well-rounded team don't have. But in this case, what I see that actually is the risking that risk is that Alice has been um, able to attract expertise that she doesn't have. She's surrounded by a team of physicians bought into this business that are working with her to deliver on the telemedicine promise. She comes across as someone who's very eager to find people that know what she doesn't know. She's already doing that in the company today. They're not co-founders in this enterprise, but there is a team. It's a team with the multidisciplinary expertise that this business needs to succeed. And that's basically, honestly, what we're looking for. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good answer from a single founder. (laughs) I like it. Okay. Is there anything else that you think we should discuss? I think that thinking about our due diligence process, what I'm going to do, I'm going to interview some general practitioners. I am going to speak with some experts in women's health, including some of our contacts in pharma companies, 
And that's why we like to operate to validate some claims with regard to how healthcare delivery happens today, to be really uh, able to appreciate the shortcomings that the lowdown uh, is going after uh, and improve the situation. This will be our homework uh, to gain even more conviction in what sounds like a very promising business moving forward. Uh, but at this stage, obviously, a lot of the bet hinges on the trustability of the funder. Uh, we see in the team the commitment to really solve the situation that right now is unacceptable. So we're going to be very glad to do the work necessary to, to make a strong case for it. Excellent. Same here. So I think we're on the same page regarding that. Marta, thank you very much. I really enjoyed this conversation. And I'm looking forward to digging deeper uh, into the lowdown and into what Alice is going to build in the future. Excellent. Me too. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Marta. That was fun.